ask you to turn your Bibles to Exodus 23. It's actually on page 64 of the Bibles in front of you if you need that text. As you turn there, I want you to think about the most important relationships in your life. These could be present relationships, relationships in the past. What relationships take precedence for you? What are the ones that you're really going to invest in? And God's chosen people, the people of Israel, are starting to learn that their relationship with the Lord is prominent. That it is foundational to who they are and what they are to be about. It takes precedence over any other relationship. And that's something that, uh, that they need to think about, something that uh, we need to keep before us uh, at all times. Uh, the Lord has given His people the moral law, law that endures from generation to generation, uh, the law that comes from the very character of God. This is what God loves. This is what He values. So in the last several chapters, we've read examples of how this law is to be applied Specific situations in Israel, we've seen case laws, precepts, uh, gleaned some principles from these case laws, how they can be applied uh, to the life of the church uh, today. But in this final section, verses 20 through 33, still a part of the legal code for Israel, but it's important to remember that this is actually a covenant code, um, not just a contract you know, where certain things are, are, are meted out to, to you know, stipulations to change behavior or change how they do business. And we said holiness cannot be legislated. This covenant code is intended to shape the relationship that the people have with the Lord. They're intended to grow in their trust of this God who has provided for them. They are intended to, to want to live under His gracious rule. Commit themselves to Him. So as part of this covenant, it would typically include blessings, uh, promises, and warnings from the sovereign to uh, the servant uh, in this covenant, which we're going to find here in chapter 23. So I'll begin reading at verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them. Nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and He will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you, until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, 
and from the wilderness to the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. This is the holy and inspired, enduring word of our God. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful for this, your word. Ask that you would guide us now in the very power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, illumine our hearts. That in your light we may see light and know the freedom and the joy and the peace that comes through the Lord Jesus, the living word. Help us now, we ask, in Christ's name. Amen. If we were to take a walk through Sherwood Forest, and I'm not thinking of the one just southwest here, uh, but the Sherwood Forest in uh, Nottinghamshire, England, we might recall that uh, famous tale of Robin Hood, probably the most well-known of English folklore in the last oh, five, six hundred years. Um, Robin Hood frustrating the sheriff of Nottingham, taking back uh, the, the wealth that, is, that has been distributed to the, the wealthy, the rich, and distributing it back to uh, the poor. And, and a more modern adaptation of uh, Robin Hood, he's stirred up the fury of the sheriff and he returns to Sherwood Forest where uh, the band of his merry men are meeting. Uh, among them is Little John and Will Scarlet. And Will has been portrayed as a kinsman of, of Robin Hood, either a half-brother or a cousin, and in this version he is skeptical, uh, sort of resentful of Robin. And after more villagers are arrested or forced to flee into Sherwood Forest, he approaches this uh, seemingly fearless leader and says, what I want to know, brother, is are you going to finish what you've started? Will you finish what you started? They they were up against great odds. Is Robin going to turn and run like he did as a child so many times? Or will he finish what he started and fight with them? And those words, will you finish what he started, have been on my mind as I read and reread this passage. The people of Israel, they're just a few months into this wilderness journey and they've already shown us that they are not overly reliable or dependable. They are quick to turn on Moses, ignore the Word of God, and we're just getting started in this journey. I think it's a suitable picture for us because it is us. We're not overly dependable. We don't keep our promises very well. We can start lots of things that we don't end up finishing. But thankfully, the Lord God is not like this. God is entirely dependable. He always keeps His promises and He always finishes what He starts. He's not going to take His people from Egypt into the wilderness and then just leave them there. He has a great purpose for them. A purpose that continues for us under the new covenant in Jesus. So how is the Lord going to finish what He has started? What did what do you need to make perfectly clear um, to the people at the end of this uh, book of the covenant? And he reiterates here the promise that he's given them uh, to take them into the land of Canaan and then the expectations 
that he has of them in covenant. That's the pattern that we're going to see in this section of promise and expectation at least three times. Uh, and that's how we'll, how we'll proceed through this. Promise begins in verse 20, just an absolutely loaded verse. I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and bring you to the place I have prepared. The Lord is leading His people. He's going before them in the wilderness. We've heard this language before of an angel in Exodus. In chapter 3, as Moses comes to that burning bush, it's an angel of the Lord that appears to him from the bush. Exodus 19, the angel of God stands between the people of Israel and the pursuing Egyptians. Now it's an angel that will lead them in their conquest, settling into the promised land. You remember when that conquest is about to begin in Joshua, the book of Joshua chapter 5, a man stands before Joshua with his sword drawn. And Joshua immediately asks him, are you for us or for our enemies? And the man responds, no. I am the commander of the Lord's army and I have now come. Um, so at that point, Joshua hits the dirt because he knows that he is in the presence of the holy. That commander of the Lord's army says just about the same thing that was said to Moses at the burning bush. The power and authority of God Himself is present in that form. So it could be in a burning bush, a pillar of cloud, or the form of a human. The angel has the power to judge and pardon. He does what God does. His name is in Him. Many have used that language to describe a Christophany, or a picture of the pre-incarnate uh, Lord Jesus, and whether this angel is identified with, with Christ as the second person of the Godhead, we can't be certain of that. Uh, but we can be certain that this messenger shows us Jesus and points to the person and work of Jesus Christ. The angel is the one who, who will guard the people. Bring them into the land that He's prepared for them. The Lord had prepared a place. He's made it ready for them to inhabit. And uh, even as we know that they're decades away from actually doing this, it is sure to be because the Lord has promised. Last verse of Matthew's Gospel. The disciples then, disciples now are commissioned by the Lord Jesus to go into the world, make disciples, but the real motivation for that the real comfort for that is in that last line, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus goes before His disciples. He is with them every step of the way. On His way to the cross, before fighting that final battle against sin and death, Jesus said, let, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Church, that promise of a place, a land to meet with the Lord and to worship Him, that, that should be ringing in our ears. Okay, we had a place. We had a land in Eden that was lost. And since then, we've been wandering the earth 
looking for a land, a place to dwell in peace, prosperity. And God brings Abraham to a land of promise. It says that his descendants would inherit this land, that he would bring them back to that place. And then the Lord moves the descendants of Jacob out of the land and into Egypt. It was always temporary, always meant to be temporary. And he brings them back, now leading them back to this land of promise. And with a new covenant in Jesus, the land has expanded. It's not just a nation in one place on the east side of the Mediterranean. The descendants of Abraham are in all places all over the world. Be a blessing to all nations. And so we look forward to this place of shalom, a new heaven and a new earth. Eden was the land, the soil primed for development and growth. Heaven is the city, the fully developed city that we will enjoy all splendor and majesty. So brothers and sisters, Lord Jesus is preparing a place for us. He's bringing us to our heavenly home where we will live and play and, and take joy in every moment because every moment is just going to be that much better than the last. Jesus is ours. We'll dwell in the splendor of His majesty forever. That is our destination. That is our hope in this very moment. It could not be more certain because Jesus is here. He's present with us. He's present in you by His Holy Spirit. So on this wilderness journey, if God is for us, who can be against us? I remember careening down the hill on my mountain bike, um, a trail I'd never been on before. Um, you know, it was a long single track. There was sand. There was loose rock. There was a cliff on one side. Probably not the place that bikes were supposed to be ridden. Um, but my friend who had much more experience who had been on the trail before, he said, follow my line. If I could just keep his tire in view, he, he knew the angles to take down the trail. He knew what speed was necessary to make this turn or to not make the turn. If I could just follow his line, I would eventually make it down the mountain. Jesus knows the trail. He's prepared the way. He leads us there. So follow His line, church. Keep marching. Keep fighting. Listen carefully to the voice of our Good Shepherd. He's driven out the only enemy that can ultimately do us harm. And He says, I am with you. I will bring you to that place that I have prepared. There's an expectation with this promise. Uh, The land, it's a gift from God. Um, He'll guide them into the land. He'll guard them. He'll fight for them. But they must obey His voice and not rebel uh, against Him. They must not rebel against His authority, against His methods, against His timeline, against His holiness. God is with His people. He's saved them. He continues to provide for them. We could certainly say He is for them, as we've heard Paul say to the New Testament church in Romans. But there is an expectation there's a caution that we need to hear uh, at this point. Remember G- uh, Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, he asked the angel, are you for us or, or for our enemies? 
And the Lord, present in this being, does not say, yep, I'm your man, I'm with you. Just follow me, I'm for you. He says, no, I have now come. So it would be what happens next in the story. It would be the obedience of Joshua and the people that would really answer that question. Are you for us or against us? So God's people must pay careful attention, listen to His voice. There's a a cooperation here, an obedience that comes with this covenant relationship. And we know how this works or how it should look from the time we spend with our families or have spent with our families. If there's protection and, and provision from parents to their children and that's been extended in a loving way, merciful way, what can be expected of the children? They should want to pay attention. They should want to obey the voice of the ones who who love them and guard them, even when they don't understand the methods or the timing right away. So we'll talk more about this obedience, but first another promise in verse uh, 23. As the Lord goes before His people, He's going to blot out the inhabitants of the land. We read a sampling of these Uh, People groups in verses 23, verse 28. But the summary here is of the the Canaanites. The Lord will fight and drive out the enemies of Israel and establish them in the land. This is the Lord's doing. See how many times we read that first person, I will, I will, I will, 13 times at least in these verses. This is personal. The Lord is is doing for the people what they could not do for themselves. He's going to be doing the legwork, driving out the Canaanites, but the people aren't just you know, to sit back on their couches, as it were, and watch this happen. They're to fight in obedience to the God who fights for them. I'll say that this fight is predominantly internal. They are to fight the temptations and the pressures to go along with the crowd, to worship the false gods of the land. The Lord's going to give them the land. But their obedience is active. They must overthrow, destroy the symbols of worship that they come across. So here, I've moved into the expectation part here. The promise. uh, God promises to fight, blot out their enemies if they would not uh, bow to the gods of the land. So their covenant obligation is loyalty to God. The temptation is going to be very strong to adopt and incorporate the practices of of the Canaanites in their worship. And so it wasn't enough to just ignore this. You couldn't just just leave the pillars alone. The temptation would be too strong. Actually, the language there in verse 24, it could not be stronger in the Hebrew. Throw down, throw down completely. Destroy, destroy completely their pillars. Now the pillars, so we're going to see the Israelites setting up stones. The patriarchs would set up you know, stones as a witness to what God has done in certain places. In the next chapter, Moses is going to set up a grouping of stones to bear witness to God's covenant relationship with His people. So the issue isn't the fact that there are stones in the land of Canaan. But these stones would have pictures of uh, the foreign gods. They would have inscriptions that were used to aid their worship. 
So because of what they represented, the very center of Canaanite worship, they needed to be uh, destroyed. Worship of God would only, worship of any other God would only detract from the glory and majesty of the one true God. And their loyalty was to Him. You know, we have a bunny rabbit at our house, and I'm, I'm not sure how loyal bunny rabbits are, um, although she's uh, taken to my youngest daughter, and um, I, I think she responds with quite a bit of loyalty to her. But typically we think of dogs as being the more loyal animals. Um, and I read a, a statue uh, also in, in England, Edinburgh, of a dog. Uh, there's a statue of a sky terrier that the people wanted to remember And he was remembered for standing guard at his owner's grave for 14 years. So they they made a statue of this terrier. Now that's commitment. That's loyalty. Maybe Maybe that challenges even our own loyalty to others, but even more significantly to God. Are we so loyal to Christ? Will we stand with Him Guard the truth entrusted to us all of our days. That's a lot easier for me to say than to actually do and for us to put into practice. Think of the Apostle Peter standing by that fire, warming his hands as Jesus is being interrogated. Hey, hey, aren't you one of those guys who was with him? No, No, I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, hey, didn't I see you as part of that church group? You know, weren't you supporting this leader or that leader and, and what it is they value? Hey, you know, you're one of those folks that doesn't use the language. Like my preferred pronoun that the policy around here now supports. How will you respond to the growing tests of loyalty and allegiance to Jesus and the truth of His Word? The Lord tells us, shows us that we are to love our enemies. We even pray for those who oppose and persecute us. Yet we're not to compromise our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we do this? How do we know if we're being loyal? Our allegiance really is to Christ. And the scenarios and responses are just uh, endless. I think we go a long way when we remember that in, in our work, and our play, and all of life, we're living before that audience of one. Uh, first and foremost, we are accountable to others, certainly, but we're chiefly accountable to God. What God thinks, what He values should be the most important thing to us as we carry ourselves, moment to moment, day to day commitment to Christ. That should be a strong motivation when we're back home by ourselves for a little while. Or in the car and we get cut off again. Or someone's riding a little too close behind us. Maybe you're at the office and you made the suggestion and it gets slammed and somebody else picks it up later and takes credit for it. On the ball field, Playing games here at the church, someone's twisting the rules or saying something that makes you feel pretty small and insignificant. Where is your allegiance? Whose eyes are on you in those moments? Accountable to God. So one more cycle of promise expectation, verses 25 through 31. 
God promises to drive out the inhabitants of land and to bless the people uh, as they serve Him alone in the land. And so the, the language in these verses is really a precursor to the covenant blessings and curses that we find later in Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. There is goodness and blessing when God's people live in obedience. When they keep their covenant obligations to Him. It's you know, a strong warning to keep them. The Lord promises to bless them with food. He promises to bless them with health. He promises to grow them in the land. They're not going to just reel from the, the grief and the pain of, of premature death. Think what Moses promised to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. This is being reiterated now to the people of Israel. This is a good place. This, this is life in the land that your heart desires, that you long for. And as we read verses 25 and 26, you can almost hear the, the hope of life and land to come, can't you? Revelation 21, a day of no more pain, no more tears, no more hurt. Goodness, blessing in obedience. Uh, probably important to mention at this point, this is not a passage uh, supporting some type of prosperity gospel, uh, where if we obey God, or at least do our best to, to obey Him, then we'll be healthy and wealthy, and everything in your life is just going to sort of turn out okay. Uh, that message dominates so much of, of the world that calls itself Christian. There's actually no passage of the Bible that will support that message when rightly handled. So I'm going to ask you to pray. Keep praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. I know it's alive and well here in the West. But so many don't know any different from that message. There's so little access or training for church leaders on how to read, interpret the Scriptures. But the point of this passage is not about how God will lavish Christians today with gifts if they try and obey the best that they can. The passage is about obedience and loyalty to God and the covenant obligations of His people living in a specific time in the history of redemption. It's about promise and expectation in this relationship with the Lord. And the Israelites are not a superpower here in the ancient Near East. They're not so great in numbers that they could just wipe out all the land of Canaan and take it over. No, the Lord is going to care for them and love them as they enter the land and give them this land gradually, allowing them to increase, allowing them to grow and possess uh, this land. And in Joshua, we read how this conquest unfolds. Unfortunately, it turns into a partial conquest as the people uh, don't listen. They don't obey the Lord's voice. So the expectation is repeated, a little more nuance. In verses 32 and 33, You shall make no covenant with them and their God. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. So the expectation is to obey, to occupy the land, to be faithful to the Lord when there will be temptations and challenges to that faith. The people were not to entertain the ideas and the practices of the Canaanites. It would ensnare them in sin, which is exactly what we see happen as the story unfolds. There's something interesting about this language, verse 33. It looks as if the end of this covenant code, it's not been influenced 
by what is yet to come for Israel. We know that they're not going to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. We know that they're going to worship these false gods. But the language still anticipates what could happen. It actually supports an earlier dating of this material, like really around the time of Moses, and not some after-the-fact writing that has been put back in here. Um, So that's not entirely on point, but it's important nonetheless as we consider the history of redemption, the reliability of the Scriptures. Uh, But a strong warning against doing business and adopting the practices of those around them. Maybe we could call it syncretism. Take a little bit of this idea. Uh, This one looks good. Eh, That one's kind of weird. Let's forget that. But this looks okay. We'll mix that in. Until the people are so ensnared and their, their lives and their worship look nothing like what the Lord has commanded. So we need to heed this warning as God's people today. The dangers of syncretism, mixing beliefs and practices with the true gospel. The authority of God's word. A recent article in World Magazine was called Magical Thinking. Uh, describes a growing uh, trend among Americans. Many you know, in the church or say that they are regular churchgoers, mixing New Age beliefs and mysticism among their regular practices. Things like psychic readings and medicine readings and power crystals. It's a way of trying to harness the spiritual energy. One crystal guru who has mentioned in the article, most of her family is Christian, but she actually cites the breastplate of the priest in Exodus 28, which we'll get to, And the twelve gems that were a part of that breastplate. The twelve tribes of Israel. Uh, She says here, here's evidence of the creation power of stones. You hear the confusion, the mixing? A little bit of Bible teaching with something else? Um, We're not ignoring the wonder and the beauty of God's creation and how stones and crystals are formed. We continue to learn about our bodies, how our bodies respond uh, to certain things. But it can be ensnaring. It can muddle our hope and trust in the Lord Jesus and the authority and power of His Word. I mean, we can be tempted to give that authority to something else. And there are plenty of options around us. So break down the pillars. Make no covenant with their gods. If you serve them, they will be a snare to you. So church, we need to keep fighting, keep resisting the idols of our heart, the manifestation of those idols around us. Comfort, security, consumerism, power. If we are not fighting these idols and the promises that they make, which can never fulfill, we're just going to get caught up. We're just going to get swept away, the riptide of sin and compromise. We know our obedience is not going to earn or secure a relationship with God, but it is necessary to maintain that covenant relationship uh, that He's called us to. Um, So the book of the covenant, people are instructed to do all that the Lord commands. Listen, move in the direction of holiness. But we know that their obedience, their promise to obey is not going to last long at all. They will fail. They will break every one of these covenant obligations and do so in short order. The law is demanding. Sin is pervasive. And it shows the people of Israel, it shows us right now, the need for God's grace. 
A grace that forgives completely. A grace that, that enables the Lord Himself to dwell among His people. In Jesus, the lawgiver and the law achiever has come. In Jesus, all that Israel was intended to be, all that they were intended to do is fulfilled. He was tempted with the gods of the age. And every idol that grabs for your heart and mine, but he was not ensnared. He took the battle to the cross, utterly destroyed the pillars of Satan, opening the gates of eternal life. Life in the promised land. That's something that only Jesus could do. God alone can bring His people into the land. He always finishes what He started. The Apostle Paul was convinced of this. He wrote to Timothy, I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day. The Lord will follow through. The promised inheritance is safely deposited with the Lord Jesus. Jesus not only bears the name of God, He is God. He is the author, the perfecter of our faith. He goes with us. He goes before us. Church family, He's going to lead us safely home to the Father's side. So we're going to work that truth into our hearts through song. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for the truth, the authority of Your Word. As we come to the end of this portion, this book of the covenant, Lord, may it spur us on to love and good deeds. Move in the direction of holiness to which you have called us. Lord, we thank you that we have the perfect Israelite, the one who has obeyed for us and our lives are hidden with him by faith. Guide us, Lord. Guard our hearts. Lead us now into that great day of your return, that great day when we will celebrate with brothers and sisters the world over. Heaven and earth collide in that land of promise. Until that day, we pray to you, we sing to you. Make our faith sight, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.